I invite you to turn with me in Holy Scripture to our sermon text today. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and the inspired word of the Lord. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Gracious Father in heaven, your word is now laid before us, and we pray that by the power of your spirit, you will open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see wonderful things in your word. Through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Here in Mark chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus speaks of receiving and entering the kingdom of God. Receiving and entering the kingdom of God like little children. That is the manner in which anyone enters into the kingdom of God. In other words, in order to become... Members of such a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, uh, uh, and to become a disciple who follows Christ in that kingdom means that we must come with total dependence upon him. Like children. That's how we come. Disciples of the kingdom learn that since their king loves them 
and has laid down his life for them. They can now, through the power of that love, take up their crosses and follow him in all aspects of their lives, not least of which being the most important relationships that they have with their spouses and with their children. Let's see how that comes to bear. How does this identity of being members of the kingdom come to bear on these most intimate of our earthly relationships? Well, first, we have to come to terms with kingdom discipleship. What is that? What is kingdom discipleship? The Gospel of Mark teaches us about two of our most important titles as Christians. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe in Christ, you are both of those things, and they are connected. They're not two separate, kind of opposite end of the spectrum kind of statuses. You you are both of them. You wear both of these titles. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, as we've quoted many times, because it's, it's in a place of prominence in the gospel at the very beginning, Jesus says in his first public sermon, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So there's the kingdom. Right right out of the gates, he's preaching about the kingdom. And then in another very privileged position in this gospel, right at the very middle of it, as Jesus has begun to reveal more expressly his identity as the Christ, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's discipleship. To come behind the Savior and to follow him. Christ calls all people everywhere to kingdom discipleship. Those who do not yet claim Christ as their own king, they're called to repent, to turn away from their sins which will destroy them, and to follow their king who is Savior as well. He's a benevolent king. He is a gracious king. He reigns in grace for those who bow the knee to him. And then those who already believe in him are called to keep on with him through this long and difficult pilgrimage of the Christian life. And this does not matter your age or your background or your status in any other earthly way. The call is upon you to take up your cross as members of the kingdom of God. And kids, it means you too. You are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. You need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling you to that today. doesn't matter that you're little kids. The promises of God are for you, and so he calls you to take up that identity. You're members of his kingdom, so follow Jesus Christ. What is this kingdom? And what does it really mean to be a disciple in it once you become a member of it? The kingdom of God is the new creation. The new creation. The kingdom of God is the new creation. It is the age to come where righteousness dwells. Where sin and sickness and sadness are banished forever. 
It is where Christ reigns in resurrection glory even now. And when Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand, he is saying that the powers of the age to come have arrived into this present evil age. This glorious invasion of the kingdom of God. It has begun to arrive. Not fully. Not in its final state. But it has truly arrived in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of confusion about this in the teachings uh, that you can find in in, uh, popular Christian books and, and teaching online and so forth. But what I have just said is the very clear teaching of the, of the New Testament. That the kingdom of God is a heavenly reality that has begun now to break into this present evil age. And you are participants in it. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 28, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Does Jesus cast out any demons in the Gospels? If he does, and if this is by the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, as he describes the new covenant community, he says it is upon us that the end of the ages has come. It has arrived If you then are a disciple of this kingdom, then the powers of the age to come have become available to you through Jesus Christ. The powers of the age to come have become available to you now through Jesus Christ. Not in a kind of perverse, name it and claim it kind of way, but by faith in your suffering and risen Savior, you now have the power that you would otherwise lack to kill your sin and to walk in righteousness and in holiness. Your high priest, Jesus Christ, has ascended the holy mountain, that spiritual mountain, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's gone into the heavenly sanctuary. And from there, he has poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church. He has clothed you with power from on high. And so when Jesus says to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, he's not telling you to go find that power somewhere else. He's saying that that power is available to you through him, through him. The otherwise impossible calling to deny yourself is now available to you. You are able to do this through his grace by His love and through a heavenly power that is poured out upon the people of God. Your King loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He has drawn you to Himself. And He has laid down His life for you. And it is for that reason that you follow Him. And when you embrace this love, the Spirit of Christ teaches you how to be a true disciple in every part of your life. It's a lifelong project. Okay, so you've got to be patient with each other. But he teaches you over time with his saving power how to be a disciple of the kingdom in every area of your life. And brothers and sisters, this is exactly the point that the Pharisees keep getting wrong in the gospel. And they get it wrong here as they themselves bring up the topic of marriage to Jesus. 
They have misunderstood it. We are prone to misunderstand it. And so now Jesus will go on to clarify some things for us. So secondly, this morning, we learned that we are, if you are in, in, in a, the state of marriage, or if you, uh, if you plan to be married in the future, then you must take on that identity of a disciple in that role, too. He has something to say about married disciples. That's the reason why we've spent several minutes now thinking about the kingdom of God and what it means to be a part of that kingdom. It is because you are a disciple of Christ even before you are a spouse. That takes precedent. It is what clothes your status as a husband or a wife. And uh, that's something that we have to come to terms with in marriage. And if you hope to be married in the future, then you would do wise to have clarity about that right now. Because otherwise, it is a long, painful, uphill battle. It's a long, painful, uphill battle anyway, because you're a sinner. But if you come to terms with this identity now that you are a member of the kingdom and disciple of Christ and power is given to you to deny yourself, then you can come into the state of marriage with clear eyes, not with the blindness that the Pharisees are demonstrating here. Now, in verse 2 of our passage, the Pharisees once again come to Jesus to test him because they are looking for a way to destroy him. They've been looking for that way ever since chapter 3. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians have been conspiring together and they want to find some way that they can trip him up and destroy him. And this time they want to trip him up when it comes to the teachings about marriage and divorce, which was a hot topic even then. Because there's nothing new under the sun. They ask Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? A minefield of a question. And they know it, and they want to see which one of the minds Jesus will step on. And of course, he hovers over all of them and makes them step on the landmines instead. And now in the next verses that follow, both the Pharisees and Jesus appeal to Moses. Both of them appeal to Moses. But the way that the Pharisees do this shows that they have missed Moses' point and God's design for marriage. What the Pharisees say in verse 4 uh, about uh, uh, Moses giving them a commandment where a husband could send his wife away with a certificate of divorce, that is correct. That's true. In particular circumstances, husbands, in, in, uh, as, it was, as this law was given in the Old Covenant, were able to, to cast away their wives. That's what divorce means. It means a, a kind of separating and a casting aside. And uh, we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 24, where Moses describes a situation where divorce is permitted. It's permitted. There are some details in that passage, which we're not going to dive deep into. But there are some details in that passage that are truly difficult to understand. Not least of which because some ancient practices are assumed in it. And we are pretty far removed from some of those practices. But the main thing in that passage is clear. The main thing is that sometimes, according to the commandment of Moses, divorce is permitted. 
That's plain as day in Deuteronomy 24. All right, so one for the Pharisees. They have cited Moses. They have appealed to a biblical authority, and they want to see what Jesus is going to do with this. Well, Jesus does two things in response. First, he shows them the real reason for that commandment. And secondly, he shows them something far better. Verse 5, Jesus shows the real reason for the command. He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses gave you that commandment. In other words, it's not as though God, starting with this blank slate, saying, here's exactly what I want my kingdom to be like. I want there to be provisions for divorce. Because that's a good design. Married, divorce, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, divorce is uh, perfectly fine. And uh, No, that's not how the law came about. Technically speaking, this commandment isn't even in the, the old covenant book of the covenant. This is in Deuteronomy, which is Moses preaching sermons on that law, on the book of the covenant, seeking to apply it wisely now to the needs of the day. Jesus is saying that hardness of heart and sin led to that provision, not God's good design. What was the real reason for it? It wasn't God's good design. It came as a result of hard-heartedness. Now, most of God's commandments have a particular function to them. They are pretty specifically about getting rid of some sin or walking in a particular kind of righteousness. You shall not or you shall. You know, relatively simple. But some other of his commandments manage and regulate sinners. In order to restrain sin's effect, which runs rampant in this world. In order to keep hard-hearted people in check to a certain extent. And in order to protect the vulnerable. Sometimes in the law, there are provisions that manage and regulate sin in this present evil age. So that people are not permitted to be as bad as they can be. Believe it or not, we're not as bad as we could be. The world is not as bad as it could be. And so sometimes there are provisions in the law to keep things in check. It is a management type of command. In the case of Deuteronomy 24, the the process of now having to go get a certificate of divorce in order to send your wife away, if it came to that, the process was a way to manage the simple reality that divorce happens, and here is a more orderly and slow and merciful way for that to take place. It is purposely meant to slow down the process. In a culture such as the one of the Old Covenant, and especially in the cultures of the nations surrounding the people of Israel, there were all kinds of reasons why a husband, on a whim, might send their wives out into destitution. And a provision like Deuteronomy 24 slows the process down, restrains what is otherwise a wicked freedom, and protects those who would otherwise be vulnerable. But it is not a good design in and of itself. It has come about because of hard-heartedness, Jesus says. And now he shows a better way. 
by appealing to something Moses wrote earlier in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2. Yes, in a sinful world, sometimes divorce is permissible, Jesus says, but in the beginning, before sin and hard-heartedness came into this world, God made one man and one woman to join their lives together irreversibly and happily. With, with true, blessed happiness. That was the intention and design in the beginning. And you see, brothers and sisters, this was not just like an add-on. It's not just like some incidental thing. God had a, a, a great idea after he made the world. Oh, something else I'll add here off the top of my head. You guys can get married now. No, no. The union of marriage at the beginning is an earthly picture of a heavenly reality that Christ loves his church as a husband is meant to love his wife. It has always pointed to that heavenly reality from the beginning. It is a kingdom of God type of reality. Now then, brothers and sisters, which approach to the holy estate of marriage will you take? And will you have in your heart Is it the way that looks for ways out of it, which is the predominant way that it is thought of in our culture today? Or the way that looks to God's heavenly and happy and blessed design for it? As disciples of the kingdom of God, loved ones in Christ, choose the better way. Because there is power from on high to choose the better way. You have not been left orphans, but you have been given the Holy Spirit and joined to this heavenly reality. And those powers now can come to affect your marriage. In other passages of Scripture, we find two major categories in which divorce might occur. In, in, uh, even in New Covenant times. Adultery, that's the provision that we find the exception clause, if we're going to talk about it in kind of cold terminology, terminology like that. Adultery is mentioned in Matthew's version of this story. He records Jesus saying that uh, if you divorce and get remarried, you are committing adultery unless adultery is what broke up the marriage. But that, there's the exception there. Adultery. The other category is abandonment, which is what we find from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And with good spiritual wisdom, real life situations have to be compared to those categories. Not in a rushed, hasty way, and it ought not to be without spiritual guidance and counsel. Now I say that because this is such a hot topic and a very painful one in many ways. That scripture gives us these two categories to deal with. And from there, the complexities of real life situations have to be compared. But we can't speak to all those complexities today. From one marriage to another, from one situation of divorce to another, there there will not be the exact same situations that have led to either a happy marriage or a, a painful divorce. So we cannot speak to all those complexities today. But it is important to speak to, in a broad way, different types of people who hear this passage of scripture. Some of you are in your first marriage, and no matter how long you have been married, 
you uh, did not anticipate the intensity of the struggles that were latent in your marriage. And uh, you are tempted, perhaps, sometimes to think of divorce as liberty. But that is not what it is. That's not what it is. Remember Jesus' words. It is tied to hard-heartedness. Again, there are complexities where divorce becomes the absolute last-ditch effort, the, the, the last resort, according to Scripture. But it is not liberty. It is on account of hard-heartedness. It means sin has come to wreck something. So do not be tempted to think of divorce as freedom. Uh, and not only is because of hard-heartedness, but as Jesus says in verses 11 and 12, divorce opens the door for adultery. A, a sin that was so grievous in the Old Covenant that it was punished by death. And divorce opens the door for the practice of adultery. To become one flesh with your spouse and then to tear that union apart in order to become one flesh with someone else is adultery. And Jesus says you're a disciple of the kingdom now. The powers of the age to come have become available to you now. And so those things are to be taken up in service to your husband or wife and to your family. So brothers and sisters, live with your spouse in this way. If you are married, no matter what your situation is now, no matter what it has been in the past, now with the powers of the age to come, live with your spouse according to this command. As it was in the beginning. Blessed, happy, unified, insofar as it is up to you, with God's grace, be at peace in your marriage. He has loved you wonderfully, so learn to love your spouse with his love fueling you. And you say, well, that sounds an awful lot like dying. Well, that's why discipleship means taking up your cross. And you can because the Spirit has been given to you. Some of you have experienced the pain of divorce firsthand. Perhaps it was before you believed in Christ. The Lord forgives such sins. Perhaps it was before you matured to a deeper understanding of marriage. And so that marriage ended without true biblical warrant. The Lord forgives such sins. Perhaps it was because your spouse cheated on you or abandoned you, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. The Lord comforts the brokenhearted. If you are a maturing disciple of the kingdom now, on the other side of a horrible event like that, then be strengthened by the powers of the age to come and take up your cross in whatever situation you find yourself in now. That is what it means to be. It means many other things, but that is at least the core of what it means to be married disciples. Be disciples of Christ as you love your spouse and create a home with him or with her. Lastly, this morning, there are also not just married and adult disciples, there are also little disciples. Jesus speaks to disciples who uh, may enter into the holy estate of marriage or are already in it, but now in verses 13 through 16, he speaks to the littlest ones among us, to children. Kids, think about a time when your parents took you to something that was exciting. Maybe you went to one of the parades in town. You know, we have our Christmas parade. We have our Fourth of July parade. 
We have things around town you can go to. Maybe it was you went to go see a movie or you went to go see some artwork somewhere, kind of like a field trip. Think of uh, your parents taking you to go to something exciting. Well, in this story that we're reading from the Gospel of Mark, a whole bunch of parents are bringing their kids to Jesus. That's the big exciting thing that they're bringing their own kids to. What did Jesus say when these children, like you, when these children were brought to him? He said, I don't have time for children. I've got better and more important things to do. Did Jesus say that? No, he didn't. In fact, he was very angry with those who acted that way. No, listen, kids, listen to what Jesus says to children. He says, let the children come to me. Do not keep them away, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. It belongs to them. It belongs to you, little brothers and sisters. Um, Kids, if you are here today, if you're in church, your parents brought you here. They brought you to Jesus, just like the parents in this story did. Now, in the story, he was still on earth. He hadn't ascended to his father in heaven yet. But your parents have done something no less wonderful. No less wonderful at all. Because Jesus says that when we gather in his name, he is with us. Your parents have actually brought you to the Savior, Jesus Christ, today. When we read our Bibles together, he's here. And when we pray and when we sing, he is here. And when we celebrate the sacraments together, he is here. He's here with us right now because he promised to be. And he never breaks his promises. And uh, kids, he loves you. And he will always love you. Place your faith in Christ. Lean on him. Lean on him. You have to hear something very clearly today. Okay? You have to hear something really clearly. It's true that you are sinners just like your parents are. And like all grown-ups are. That's true. But Jesus saves sinners. And brings them into his kingdom. And it doesn't matter how old they are doesn't matter how old you are. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, belongs to you. So you are citizens of the great kingdom of heaven. It's yours. And you belong to it. Now, if that's true, then you are also a disciple. Did you know that? The disciples aren't just these 12 guys in the, in the Bible. It's not just your parents or other grown-ups. You are also a disciple. He loves it when you obey him. So kids, obey your parents. When they are trying to live their life in peace with you, obey your parents. And especially listen to them when they're teaching you about the Lord. When they open the Bible with you, when they open the catechism with you, when they're teaching you how to pray, when they're singing psalms and hymns with you. Listen to them and obey them. Show them respect. Even though maybe you don't like some things that they make you do, God has given them to you. And they bring you to him. They brought you to Jesus today. That's what they're doing with their whole life is trying to bring you to the Savior. So obey them. Treat your siblings and your friends lovingly. Show your parents and your friends and and your siblings that you are a child who belongs to Jesus and that you want to obey him more than anything. You might be little, but you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, parents... 
think long and hard about what Jesus has said in this passage. These are amazing words. These are amazing words. It is true that you must discipline your kids because foolishness is bound up tightly in the heart of a child. Okay, we already know that. But your kids, by the fact that they exist, have something to teach you. You can only come into the kingdom by becoming like them. Not in childishness, not in disobedience, but by their dependence. By the dependence that is just naturally in them. There is no other way to come into the kingdom of God. Think about how much work it took for you to get them here today. Or any other Sunday. Or to get them anywhere for that matter. But especially to get them to church. They couldn't do it by themselves. And guess what? Neither could you come into the kingdom of God by yourselves. You had to be brought. You had to be brought by the saving and sovereign love of Jesus Christ. And he has taken you into his merciful arms and blessed you. Because only children enter into the kingdom of God. Loved ones in Christ... If you belong to this kingdom, then the the highest privileges belong to you. And so you must take up your cross with Christ's power through his Holy Spirit and follow him. Let his love work its way into your marriage. Let the powers of the age to come by faith in Christ engulf your marriage and your home. Whether you are married now or will be married later, let this love work its way in. And especially also into your relationship with your covenant children. These little ones who already belong to Christ. Show them what it looks like to belong to Christ into adulthood. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we ask now that you would take this word and write it upon the tablets of our hearts. That we might obey what it commands and believe what it promises. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.